Welcome to Lab Talk, a special edition podcast produced by the Scientist Creative Services team, where we explore topics at the leading edge of innovative research. This episode is brought to you by 10X Genomics, which builds solutions to interrogate biological systems at a resolution and scale that matches the complexity of biology. Their rapidly expanding suite of products, which includes instruments, consumables, and software, has enabled fundamental discoveries across multiple research areas, including cancer, immunology, and neuroscience. In this episode, Nikki Spodge from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with John Sang, co-director of the National Institutes of Health Center for Human Immunology, about how he uses innovative single-cell technology to discover early predictors of an individual's immune response to stresses, such as vaccination, autoimmunity, and SARS-CoV-2 infection. John Sang expresses his own opinions in this episode, and they do not necessarily represent the views or policies of the NIH. The human immune system is highly complex and variable. Some people produce high levels of antibody or activated immune cells in response to infection, vaccination, or immunotherapy, while others fail to react appropriately. These differences have obvious implications for health and disease, and they have been especially appreciated during the COVID-19 pandemic, as some individuals show no symptoms after contracting SARS-CoV-2, while others experience severe, life-threatening disease. John Sang researches the basis of these immunological differences in an effort to predict a person's immune response and optimize the care they receive. We try to look at immune system states in a fairly comprehensive manner. So by that, I mean interrogating the status of different immune cells and what kind of genes they express, what kind of proteins they express, and where they are, for example. We take a snapshot from individuals by drawing their blood and then we can interrogate down to the single cell level what the state or the, what that cell looks like. That gives us tens and thousands of variables in that snapshot. And by looking over time, we can also start to see how those cellular states may evolve in response to a vaccine or a disease. Researchers studying immune cells performed analyses in bulk by collecting a blood sample and combining the cells into a single pool. With bulk methods, scientists get a view of the average characteristics of the cells within the tested population, a strategy which lacks detail. To truly understand a complex immune response, scientists need to assess the specific functions and contributions of each individual cell. Luckily, sophisticated single-cell analysis methods have exploded in popularity in recent years. One type of information that can come out of looking at these single cells would be coming up with so-called biomarkers. For example, if you want to tell before giving someone a drug, this person is going to respond well, or maybe this person may react badly to that drug, you want to find some markers before you give the drug to this person. What kind of cells they have, what kind of state those cells are in will provide you information to predate whether the response will go one way or the other way. These biomarkers can exist in many different forms. Therefore, we cast a wide net. By performing multimodal analyses, we try to measure as much as possible upfront. Nowadays, technologies would allow us to look at the proteins that are on the surface of cells, and we can also find out the tens and thousands of mRNA molecules that are in these cells. So in the case of immune cells, we can also look at the genetic sequences that encode the variable uh, lymphocyte receptors at the single cell level. 
we can actually interrogate all of these different things at the same time. And then we can look at the human population and ask which one of these variables would allow us to predate, for example, whether somebody may respond to a drug or whether somebody may respond well to an infection or a vaccine. In a series of studies, Sang's group explored the immune response to the influenza vaccine. By assessing blood samples taken before and after vaccination, the researchers found that the response varied greatly among the participants, with some people producing high levels of antibody while others were low. To see if they could find a baseline transcriptional signature, or set of gene expression patterns, that predicted whether participants would be high or low antibody responders, Zhang's team performed bulk transcriptomics on the blood samples. They found a promising signature in the samples taken prior to vaccination that correlated with the later antibody response. Next, they tested the signature's predictive power on individuals receiving the yellow fever vaccine, an extremely effective, live-attenuated vaccine that produces robust, lifelong immunity. The pre-vaccination signature also predicted whether individuals would produce high or low levels of antibodies in response to the vaccination. Because of the initial bulk transcriptomics approach, the researchers could not tell which immune cells expressed the transcriptional signature. So they zoomed in and analyzed the state of the immune system on a single cell level. They partitioned individual cells from the high and low responder blood samples, stained them with antibodies to detect identifying surface proteins, and cracked them open to measure gene expression. One of the very first cell populations that caught our attention is called plasma cytoidendritic cells. So these are relatively low in frequency in circulation. But what's so intriguing about them is that they are known to be one of the major producers of type 1 interferons. When we get infected, for example, by a virus, your cells in your body would start sensing that, oh, there's a viral invasion. They would start to make these type 1 interferons. They're like alarming molecules that would basically instruct other cells to get into this kind of antiviral state. So the PDCs is a type of immune cell that makes a lot of these type 1 interferons to instruct other cells to respond to viral infections and other types of inflammatory sort of situations. That sort of highlights the power of single cell analysis because these cells, because they're so low in frequency uh, in the blood, they don't contribute too much actually to the bulk transcriptome that we measure. But when, once you zoom into single cells, you can see that they are different in their activation states. Sang found that people with the predictive signature and high antibody responses to vaccination also had higher levels of PDC activation and type 1 interferon prior to receiving vaccines. Their immune system seemed poised to mount a robust immune response. The vaccine results led Sang to ask a new question. If the immune state of healthy individuals predicts their response to vaccination, can the same baseline signature predict other perturbations, such as spikes in autoimmunity? He tested this in individuals with systemic lupus erythematosus, or SLE, an autoimmune disorder in which a person's own antibodies attack their tissues, causing systemic inflammation, joint pain, skin rashes, and organ damage. SLE disease activity is highly heterogeneous, with some people experiencing periods of disease flares, where their symptoms become acute for varying periods of time. When my colleagues looked at these lupus patients, they found that during their disease activity, if you look at their molecular or cellular phenotypes of these patients, you can actually group them into various subgroups. Some of them have particular high frequency of certain cells in circulation during their flares. 
and some of them have certain types of B cells. We don't really understand why some individuals would have much more severe flares. So if you think of the flares, it's almost parallel of the vaccine response. So somehow in some individuals, you have these people responding to something that some would mount a high response while some would mount a low response. One thought that we had was, well, if you look at these lupus patients and look when they don't have any disease activity, that's sort of like our baseline, like the state before you get a vaccine. And then when they flare up, it's almost like they are responding to some perturbation, just like how you vaccinate somebody and somebody would respond to the vaccine. In a subset of SLE patients, Sang discovered a familiar transcriptional signature during periods of low or baseline disease activity. The same signature from the vaccine study predicted SLE flare intensity. His team also found a second signature that predicted intense flares and high antibody response to vaccination. Sang was not able to repeat the single-cell analysis on the lupus samples, but he formulated a hypothesis about the immune state of people with SLE who have the predictive signatures. Both SLE and responses to influenza and yellow fever vaccines associate with increased plasma blasts, precursors to mature plasma cells that produce antibodies, in the blood. SLE patients with the high response signature likely have activated PDCs that secrete type 1 interferon. Type 1 interferon then activates B cells that mature into plasma blasts and, ultimately, plasma cells. The mature plasma cells then produce the autoantibodies that trigger the flares. With this information in mind, Sang is now looking toward applications for these immune signatures. On the vaccination side, one concept that we've been thinking is whether you can use agents and modulators to change the status or the baseline of the immune system before one is vaccinated. This concept is particularly relevant in cases where you have certain individuals who don't respond well to vaccines. So one good example is the elderly. The older one gets, sometimes there's an attenuation in immune responsiveness. And therefore, for example, in some vaccines, for the elderly, you either give them more uh, higher levels of antigens or they have a specialized agent called adjuvants to make the response more robust uh, in those contexts. If we kind of know what kind of baseline state we want to get to, and how can we start to modulate that to improve response to vaccines? On the side of the lupus, and I mentioned the heterogeneity in terms of the patient phenotypes and their pathologies and disease activities. One question is whether we can develop much more personalized and specific therapies. In that subset of patients with plasma B cell flaring activities, if you can dampen their plasma cytodendritic cell, the PDC that we, that we found, would anti-PDC therapy be working much better? If we have ways now to start to evaluate and predict whether a particular patient is going to suffer more or less from these flares, maybe we can also tailor the extent and the dose of therapeutics that we will apply to these patients. Like many researchers, Sang's team shifted their focus recently to SARS-CoV-2. COVID-19 is another heterogeneous disorder, with infected people experiencing varying symptoms. The scientists could not collect samples from individuals before they were exposed to the virus to measure baseline transcriptional signatures. However, they analyzed patient samples that were collected upon hospital admission and throughout a person's stay, until they recovered and were released or succumbed to their infection. Using an updated version of the single-cell technology, 
Sang's group analyzed the transcriptome, variable T-cell receptor sequences, and cell surface proteins. First, using machine learning, the researchers developed a metric from their data that defined the disease severity of COVID-19 at the time of hospital admission and grouped patients into three categories, moderate, severe, and critical. Disease severity in COVID-19 is typically based on their oxygen requirements, their organ damage. So they got bin into these discrete categories called ordinal scores. But a lot of the patients, they have very similar ordinal scores. But when we look at their molecular profiles, when they come into the hospital, they can be quite different, even within the same category. Sort of the first thing we did is is to come up quantitatively with a new metric that captures information from multiple types of parameters. So those are frequencies of immune cells and certain types of molecules and certain lab data. Um, That really captures the spinal shades of DC severity. And then we try to look at the information from our single cells and ask which ones of those single cell features are associated with the severity. So that allow us to sort of capture what the severe patients look like. So that gives us signatures of disease severity. Next, Sang's team looked more closely at immune cell subsets associated with critical COVID-19 and found that the patients had an extreme shift in their immune responses throughout the course of their illness. The scientists again found interferon-secreting plasmacytoid dendritic cells. However, in a surprising twist, the critical patients had low levels of PDCs and type 1 interferon at early time points. The PDCs entered program cell death, perhaps due to some cellular signal. The researchers also found a strange metabolic signature in natural killer cells associated with an anti-inflammatory state. When you look at their early time points, they tend to have this kind of depressed inflammatory signature. But then later on, around day 17 to 23, we see that the severe or critical patient, they start to mount sort of a second wave of inflammatory responses. So earlier they were depressed in terms of the inflammation, but by that time they start to go up to higher while the milder, less severe patients, they are almost in this recovery phase already, basically. It's almost like these patients are responding to something new or the system is operating this kind of feedback or feedforward mode Earlier on, there's something suppressing their inflammatory response, but that's now released, and these folks are mounting this second wave. And that's likely one of the culprits that may be resulting in really poor outcomes. And we still don't know exactly what's triggering that second wave. Could be a combination of secondary infections. Could also be because of the organ damage and tissue damage. Now it's catching up, so to speak. Those cells are starting to die and release a bunch of inflammatory molecules to drive this kind of response. What's very informative is that if you look at the patient um, around that time point, you can start to predict and tell who's going to do well or who's going to do quite badly with poor outcomes with the disease. This outcome underscores the need to monitor patients throughout their hospital stays, especially during later time points when inflammation can ramp up and lead to disastrous outcomes. In the future, Scientists may initially assess and then monitor the progression of a patient's transcriptional and cellular signatures to provide personalized care. To that end, Sang is studying additional patients to see if he can measure signatures even earlier during infection to better predict responses and tailor treatments. Single-cell analysis is essential to this research, 
as the researchers would not have discovered the role of plasmacytoid dendritic cells in the vaccination, autoimmunity, and antiviral responses using bulk methods alone. One wonderful thing is the single cell resolution that we're now able to achieve using this kind of technology. This generates massive, massive amounts of data and really being able to computationally model and integrate that data to ask the kind of biological questions in terms of what's making individuals different. I think we're at an exciting time where that's now becoming possible. As we expand the population we study and the number of individuals and the type of molecule that we increasingly measure more and more, our ability to interrogate the human immune system will really explode. Thank you for listening to The Scientist's Lab Talk. This episode was produced by the Creative Services team for The Scientist and narrated by Nikki Swatch. Thanks again to our sponsor, 10X Genomics. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts.